65th letter. I beg you to cast the grief away from your soul. Very noble lady, for days I wanted to write to you and comfort your afflicted soul because of the misfortune that befell you, but I waited in case we would receive an answer from you, as you had written to my priest. But seeing that you are slow in writing and feeling the pain of your soul, I entreat you to listen to my humble voice and cast the grief away from your soul, for excessive grief gives birth to other evils. No one knows the counsels of God which he employs to save us. But anyway, no matter how things happen, they are for our benefit, regardless of whether we are sad or think that we have been abandoned by God. It cannot be concluded that something bad happened to us because we sinned or transgressed. But it can be concluded that by means of grief, our transgressions committed since youth are forgiven. Perhaps we had a little pride, and through the sorrow we acquire great humility. Maybe the Lord wants to test us to see if we will be faithful to him even after the misfortune. He wants to see the patience we have and our love towards him. Perhaps he was a bad person, although his parents were good, and with this accident his parents were helped by you. Although you suffered a material loss, you profited spiritually. Perhaps you would have been sad to do such a good deed of mercy under other circumstances because maybe God wanted you to give more alms. Furthermore, it is possible that he was bad and God cut his life short to save him through pain. God could have let the accident happen through someone else instead of through you. But through you, all these good things happen that we have mentioned above. For this humility which you have, crying as if abandoned by God, could not have been acquired otherwise, even if you had lived ascetically for many years. People commit sins from their youth, with words, with their eyes, with their mind, with consent, with deeds. Yet through one sudden shock, one misfortune, one great loss, all those sins are forgiven, and one transforms from glass into a diamond. And besides all of these causes, it could be due to the devil's hatred. When he sees that we want to be saved, he becomes an obstacle and stumbling block to hinder our good intentions, to give us despair, disbelief, despondency, and illness due to the grief and great pain, to dry us up like flowers suddenly hit by a gust of wind from the south. So for all the reasons we mentioned, we obtain a great reward if we are patient. And do not grieve, for intense sorrow can sometimes cause insanity. The Holy Forerunner will not abandon you. He has not forgotten your good deeds, but you will receive your reward many times over. The church we built is dedicated to the Forerunner. So I beg you to cast away this grief from your soul. Regain once more the gaiety which you had previously had. Have love, and you will be forgiven everything. For it happened involuntarily, and by the providence of God, as only he knows, he who provides for our well-being and our salvation. By all means, I am writing for you to write me a few lines, stating that you will do as we have written to you, and that you have found peace. We are sorry for everything that happened, and this is why you should write to us, so that we may be at peace. My entire synodia and I are praying for you, and we are doing liturgies every day for the health and peace of your soul and body. Likewise, we have a memorial service every day for the repose of the soul of that unfortunate boy 
who suddenly died. 66th letter. When a person confesses, his soul is cleansed and becomes like a brilliant diamond. My good lady and your good and kindly husband, we all pray that the Lord gives peace, health, and longevity to your entire household and to your relatives. I received your letter, my lady, and saw what you wrote. I commiserate with you on your trials and share in your pain, just as I share in your joy as well. The life of man, my lady, is leavened with afflictions and torments. When you see a little joy in your soul, know that it is a phone call telling you to endure the affliction that will come. The one closest to man is God. No one else is closer than God. In him we live and move. We are continuously in his arms. So we are able at every breath to call out to him with an inner cry, My God, where art thou? Help, hasten, help me, protect me. My Jesus, have mercy on me. Our Panagia is the mother of mercy, the fountain of goodness, and her grace anticipates everywhere. As soon as you open your mouth to call her, she hastens as a true mother. Therefore, don't hesitate to call upon her at every moment, and you will find her an unmercenary helper and physician in your afflictions. God, my child, is everywhere, and his eye observes everything, but he overlooks our sins because he waits our repentance. When we are at fault, whether slightly or greatly, he sees it because he is present. But we do not see him because we are infants in knowledge. And when he punishes us so that we may turn toward him, we think that we are suffering unjustly. However, when we humble ourselves, then the eyes of our soul are opened and we realize that everything the Lord does is very good. Then we look upon him as our Father, abundant in mercy and overflowing with perfect love and kindness. I don't know, my lady, if you have done a general and frank confession of sins, starting from your childhood since you were seven. Clearly review your entire past. Write your sins on a piece of paper and take it with you to confession. You will find great benefit for your soul. Your husband should also do likewise. Write down not only those like the one you mentioned, but also lapses of all types, even the ones you don't consider to be sins. Even so, when a person confesses, his soul is cleansed and becomes like a brilliant diamond. You will start from childhood. Which sins happen from 8 to 10 years of age? Which ones happen from 10 to 20? And thereafter, sins of the insensitive aspect and the appetitive aspect of the soul. The same for your husband. Sins in accordance with nature, contrary to nature. Sins at work. Offenses. Illegal deeds. Everything openly, without bashfulness. But if a spiritual father has been guiding you and you have already confessed, then all this is unnecessary. If at some time, my lady, you want to give alms, give to that woman who lost her son. If you want to show mercy to that boy who suddenly died, don't forget to have a 40-day liturgy done for him, because as a youngster, he might have committed sins, and it will take him out of hell. Then you will be the reason why he was saved and went to paradise, because liturgies save souls and pull them out of Hades. And thus, instead of doing a great evil, as you thought, a great good will come about. 
For through you, a soul will be saved, and all of you will come closer to God through repentance. As for your nervous condition, the anger you mentioned, say the prayer constantly. In this way, grace will settle your nerves, and do not grieve, for the entire world suffers from such things. 67th letter. This shows that your life is pleasing to God. My compassionate lady, I received your letter and greatly rejoiced to see the gifts that the Lord has given you. You are well taken care of and you don't need anything except patience and endurance for your soul to be at peace. Now can I say with confidence that the envious devil saw your good and virtuous way of life and in order to grieve you he caused that inv involuntary manslaughter. But with the liturgies that you have done for him, I am sure that his soul is saved. So instead of something bad happening, something very good happened, for his soul was saved. For God looks for any reason to save a person. When you say, everyone else is happy, why are we the only ones sad? This shows that your life is pleasing to God. For the Lord sends afflictions only when a person does the will of God. For afflictions are a grace and a gift from the Lord. So you are inadvertently confessing that you are elect children of God. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth, and scourges every son whom he receives. So take courage, or rather rejoice, because the Lord loves you very much. Don't be sad anymore. Always advise your husband to go to confession. Those things he is telling you are not correct. Confession is one of the seven mysteries of the church. Without confession, repentance doesn't count, and without repentance, one cannot be saved. If you want to give alms to the mother of the child, it should be done in person and not through someone else so that her soul will be healed from the sorrow for, from her child. But give other alms anonymously. You have had good spiritual fathers, and that is why they have led you on the right path. I am very pleased with them. It was my responsibility to write to you because you have helped us, and I felt for your pain. Now I rejoice with you, because I have come to know yet another good Christian family. Therefore, I shall stop writing to you. It is good enough that you correspond with my priest. I continue to be your intercessor to God, the least among monks, Yosef. 68th letter. If you don't give up sinning, Whatever you do will go to waste. My blessed child, Paneyota, I pray that you are well. I received your letter, my little child, and saw what you wrote, and my soul hurt for you. You are not in a very good position. One of two things must happen. Either he must take you as his lawful wife, or you must leave him and live by yourself in repentance. As things are now, you aren't getting anything done. You can't even go to confession. If you don't give up sinning, whatever you do will go to waste. As soon as you are separate and give up sinning, everything is forgiven once you go to confession. Are you unable, my child, to make a living? Go to the house of some good Christians. Do whatever work you can. Just flee from sin. Sin is separation from God. You will be punished eternally. Whereas here in this life, no matter how much affliction one might have, it passes. Decide. If he marries you, it is no longer called a sin. It becomes lawful. 
Then you will write to us and we shall work out a penance for the past. If you leave him, still write to us and we shall tell you what to do. But now, since you are living in sin, nothing can be done. Force yourself, my child, because death comes suddenly, and it would be a pity to lose your soul. We shall do liturgies and supplicatory services so that the Lord may help you. I am praying for you, humble Yananda Yosif. 69th letter. Do not doubt that it is time for you to wear the holy schema. As is my duty, I continually send up prayers to the Lord, that he protect and guide you toward his holy will. You asked, O child of our good God, if the Lord wants you to receive the holy schema. My sister, from the time you first saw the world, you have walked along the path of God, so you never sought anything but the will of the Lord. So do not doubt that it is time to wear the holy schema, since even without the schema, you are a nun. Now that you have grown old, what kind of works do you seek? You already know your work. Give to the poor from whatever you have in excess. Give to poor nuns, and they are able to do what you are unable to do. Find a good eldress, a Yorondisa. Call a priest who is a great schema monk, and become a nun in your house without letting anyone know about it. Then continue along your path. You will be very fortunate because you will be reborn. All week long, don't leave your house. Stay inside and enjoy the grace which remains with you for eight days. Don't be afraid. Don't hesitate. Christ came for us. He gave us his abundant love and he said to us, Love one another as I have loved you. So don't wait. Don't postpone it. Don't miss this opportunity that Christ is giving you from above. Give the note to Theophylact, and I, the humble one, am praying for you, and by the grace of God, I support you. 70th letter. The beginning and end of every good thing is Christ. I greatly rejoice, my child, that you seek to hear a word of God for the benefit of your soul. So open your ears, and I shall fill them with good things. Listen, my child. Let your mouth continuously meditate on the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me. Let your breath cleave to the name of our Savior. After a long time, the noose will grow accustomed to saying it with the inner voice. And when the noose has been purified with the prayer, it will draw the prayer down into the heart. Then there will be a union of noose, word, and heart. That is, through the constant invocation, the prayer finds a way into the heart through inhalation and exhalation, so that noose, word, and heart become one. And as the heart is continuously cleansed, it receives accordingly the overshadowing grace. And then, little by little, without your realizing it, it becomes heaven, a paradise within you. Up to this point is praxis. Beyond this is theoria. Reach this point and we shall discuss the rest when the time comes. Just know that everything, the beginning and end of every good thing, is Christ. By ourselves we cannot do anything if Christ does not first assist us with his divine grace. He first made himself known to us and then we came to know him. We love him because he first loved us. If he does not act, the good in us is not activated. So become a little child with all its childlike simplicity and throw yourself at the feet of our Panagia, who carries the great God as a small infant. Weep 
and cry out with much love, which he will give you. My dear, sweet mother, help me. Show me how I may be saved. Intercede, my dear mother, with your son, that he may show me what he wants me to do and what I should seek from him. May he open the eyes of my soul, which are closed, and thus I do not see him, while he sees me at every moment, and I constantly grieve him. Seventy-first letter. Make a good beginning, so that the end may be good. Listen, my child, hearken unto my words. Live very modestly. Be very humble. Don't speak idly about humility, but be like rubbish for people to step on if you want Christ to visit you. Your heart needs to become as soft as cotton. Always yield to anyone you speak with. You know best, my sister. Forgive me. Whatever gentleness you use in speaking with others, that very same gentleness will Christ use with you. With whatever measure you measure out to others, with that very same measure will he apportion to you. Just as you forgive the failings of others, he forgives yours. With whatever love and gentleness you seek him, likewise will he appear to you. Don't say that you are pretending to be obedient while you are really doing your own will. For you are not offending your eldress, the abbess, your ondissa, but God, who is near you and sees your every movement. He is always with you. It is you who are blind and fail to see him. You are always in his arms. You breathe him, you eat him, you wear him, and you can never fool him. He sees everything you do, even before you think it. If you say, the transgression is small, it doesn't matter then your small prayer doesn't reach God. It doesn't matter. If you say that you want your small prayer to be heard, know that even your small transgressions are recorded and they neutralize your small good deeds. So if you are punctilious and gentle, gentle so as not to grieve the Lord who sees everything, then be afraid of grieving the your own son, the abbess, the rest of the sisters, knowing that you sin against God. Never say, I am right even if they gouge out your eyes. Never seek justice, for you have put on Christ, who became man for our sake and suffered everything to save us. Just as he forgives transgressors, so must we. When you are disobedient, my little child, do you know how much you sadden the eldress and how much you resist the will of God, who immediately withdraws his grace and leaves you bare? Your conscience is embittered and your noose becomes turbid, and for many days you remain like hard and barren earth. Oh, if you could only see how much damage it does to you. So, my child, be careful. Make a good beginning so that the end may be good. Work now, every day, so that you may reap peace in old age. Every morning at daybreak, say, My Lord Jesus Christ, make me worthy to pass my day without sin. Eagerly take hold of your work and keep the prayer on your lips. Be aware that the Lord is watching you and your angel is recording. Your angel is recording your deeds and the Lord is watching your thoughts. At every moment say with full knowledge, My soul, collect your thoughts in fear for the Lord sees you. Don't let your mind wander and don't daydream, but say the prayer with full attention. Do not look at what the others are doing. And do not wish others to think that you to think 
that you know. What you need to know is to say the prayer continuously and to pay attention to your work. Become a fool for Christ so that the Lord may make you wise. You will do good if you accomplish all that I have told you, for you will become a good and virtuous nun, beneficial to others as well. May grace always be with you to protect you from every influence of the evil one. I pray for all the sisters in the Yerondissa that God grants the Yerondissa the grace and strength to bear your burdens, for the burdens are great, and the work she has is hard. 72nd letter. Everything must be accompanied by perpetual, unceasing, noetic prayer. Arise, my child, follow the advice I wrote you. When you have any question or come across something you want solved and you can't find a way out, write to me and I shall write back to you with much love. You said that many times by doing one person's will, another person is grieved. But if you want to grieve no one and to be in good standing with God, always ask the abbess, what do you command, mother? This is what so-and-so told me to do. Then do whatever she tells you unquestioningly, and no one will get upset. Let the others deal with the abbess later. Obedience has a share in all things, and Christ weaves you a crown at every moment. But in order to develop the inner man to find peace from the passions and to have the fruit of your good work blossom, everything must be accompanied by perpetual, unceasing, noetic prayer. While you work, say the prayer continuously, either with your mouth or with your noose. When you say it constantly with the mouth, the noose will grow accustomed to saying it with the inner voice. Then the noose will bring it down into the heart. Thereafter follows the toilsome work of watchfulness, anipsis, to keep the noose forcefully there, pure and without form, paying attention only to the circular movement of the prayer through inhalation and exhalation within the heart. Then, since the noose does not have time to form any distracting thought, it is purified with time thanks to the prayer. Then it no longer takes delight in evil remembrances, nor does it want to remain completely idle, but it becomes all aflame with the recollection of the divine name and with the love of Christ the Savior. So, my child, meditate on this God-inspired hidden work, and your soul will become paradise even before it leaves the body. A monk who has not learned the prayer does not know how, does not know why he became a monk. Reading enlightens the noose and helps the prayer. Bodily labor, when it is done in moderation and does not cause agitation, is very beneficial. It leads you to humility. When you grow accustomed to saying, forgive me, to everyone, and in everything you reproach yourself, and you never demand justice or seek your own will, then you will soon taste the fruit of humility, as long as you have patience in everything. With love and simplicity and without many thoughts, you will reach the heavenly harbor more quickly. Embrace in your arms the icon of the Panagia as if she were alive, as you embraced your dear mother when you were little. Tell her all your pain. Wet her icon with your pure tears, and you will derive constant consolation. She will intercede with her son, who is so good, who loves the good, has mercy on the bad, and forgives repenting sinners. He will open the noetic eyes of your soul and fill your heart with love and divine eros, and then your eyes will become two fountains of tears. 
I pray that you will attain this. 73rd letter. Christ is very merciful and does not seek much from you. My child, your modest letter moved me to tears. Your humility moved my heart to love you very much as the Lord loved the woman with an issue of blood. And to say to you the same words, Take heart, daughter, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace and grieve no longer. Paradise will open. The king of the ages will appear to you in that day, and you will be overjoyed, and will leap like a deer from his great and infinite love. Therefore do not mourn your poverty, since the kingdom of Christ has compassionately dawned upon you. Do not lament for your transgressions, since the Son of God has come to earth and suffered as a man for us, and raises us to the heavens through pure repentance. It suffices for you to say, I have sinned with a fervent heart, and immediately grace opens the heavens to you. Christ is very merciful and does not seek much from you. Only say with faith, confessing like the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. And immediately you will hear, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Oh, how good the Lord is! How good! How fortunate we mortals are to have such a perfectly good father! So take courage, my blessed child. With boldness write to me of your tribulations, and with much love I shall answer you with whatever the Lord gives me. We are very thankful for the vestments, which took so much toil and money to send. When they get them, I shall tell my beloved priests to write you. They are filled with grace because they have ceaseless prayer. See to it that you also say the prayer continuously, and then Christ, who is joy, peace, love, and light, will enter within you. Now that you have already begun, exert yourself and don't leave it. When you see that the noose becomes tired of grasping the prayer, say it constantly with your mouth. In time, the noose will take it up again. In the beginning, it is hard work, but when years have passed, the prayer will cry out by itself from within. It continuously cleanses one from all the passions. I forgot to tell you that we shall send you a little package soon. I have found a cross perfect for your little soul, and I am sending it to you as a blessing as you wanted. And I pray that he will bless you, he who is blessed and glorified unto the ages. 74th letter. The more you love, the more you are loved. My divine, tender love, I pray that you are well. May the grace of our Christ enlighten you, purify you, and make you like St. Mary Magdalene, whose sacred hand we have here at the monastery of Simonos Petras. Her hand is warm, as if she were alive, and it exudes an ineffable fragrance. That is how much grace Christ gave her. I greatly rejoiced, my child, to see how eagerly you seek your salvation. This is why I am certain that the bridegroom of your immortal soul will give you his mercy abundantly. Have our Panagia, his dear sweet mother, as your protectress, and entreat her constantly. Embrace her holy icon as if she were alive, and wet it with tears, as the myrrh-bearer did to Jesus' feet, and you will derive substantial consolation as if she were beside you. Our Panagia hastens everywhere. She bestows her grace abundantly upon anyone who fervently cries out to her. She is a mediatress to Christ for everyone, because she was deemed worthy to give birth to the Lord and to become the mother of God. She carries him in her arms and continuously entreats him. 
Since we sinners do not have the boldness to run directly to God from the start, we cry out to His mother. She regenerates us. She intercedes. She anticipates all our afflictions. She is our protectress and helper, more honorable than all the angels, beyond compare more glorious than the cherubim and the seraphim, second in rank only to the Holy Trinity. Oh, but she is so good, my good girl, so sweet that you want to embrace her at every moment and obtain consoling grace. The more you love, the more you are loved. Do not grieve about the package, my child. I care about your soul. I want to contribute a little bit with my words to build a little house for you in the heavens where everything is immortal and eternal. Everything here, whether or not they exist, does not harm our soul. See to it that you clearly write down your confession since the time you were little. Write down everything very clearly. Do not hurry when you write, but send it quickly, lest I die. I want you to be benefited by me, not by someone else, so that I may say before Christ, Behold, I and the children whom thou, O God, hast given me. Don't spend any more money on us. Whatever you have done, you have done. Christ has accepted it as a fragrant myrrh. Whether or not it comes to us, you receive your reward. It has been recorded in the heavens. Do not grieve, thinking that you have been deprived. From that very moment, I numbered you among my spiritual children. I have been praying for you since your first letter, and every day we commemorate you in our divine liturgy. Take courage, for you will not undergo the death of your soul, but in repentance you will live unto the ages. Send your letter quickly, and if you forget something, write it later in another letter. Have the beloved prayer on your lips. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me. He alone is the Savior, and we hope that he will save us. Just be patient. Bear your daily cross and cry out to him often. My Jesus, where art thou? Hasten, save me, for I am perishing. And he will cry out to you. Do not be faint-hearted, my child. I am always here beside you. Be patient. The time will come for me to take you by my side to rejoice eternally. So don't send any more packages because they demand an outrageous tax for them. Just attend to your soul. Take care that you save it, since it is precious, immortal. 75th letter. Put in your hundred mites, and I shall put in my thousand gold florins. Vasiliki, my blessed child, I hope you are well. I received your letter of confession, and I saw everything that you wrote. Everything is forgiven, my Vasiliki except for the things that are not confessed. These things are not forgiven. But just one thing, the sin must not recur. So I ask this favor of you. Do not fall into sin again, and all will be well. The liturgies will help you very much, and whenever you can have them done again, for only they can take souls out of Hades. Now, for the time being, you will abstain from Holy Communion. When you write to me that your bad habit has stopped, we shall work out a small penance analogous with what you deserve. I shall do the supplicatory canons you asked for, not just seven, but many. I shall keep doing them so that the Lord and his Holy Mother will help you. So don't be sad. The all-good God forgives everything. Just don't repeat it. The Lord will make you bright and new like a white dove. The only favor I ask of you is 
not to let it happen again. I shall take care of you as long as I am alive. Take care. I am approaching death. I am very seriously ill. I await the hour. I want to put you in order. I fervently entreated the Lord and his golden mother to enlighten you. Perhaps this is why that person saw what he saw as he was telling you. So make a good beginning. Put in your hundred mites and I shall put in my thousand gold florins. And arise from the mire. I'm giving you my hand. Come out of the pit. Everything is vanity, a lie, and deception. You are fine. Don't be sad. Don't despair. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Christ is good and compassionate. He forgives everything. I see his hand invisibly stretched out, and he calls out, My Vasiliki, don't cry. It was for your sake that I came to the earth and became man. Do not lament your poverty. Christ the Master loves you. He is generous and has mercy on the first just like on the last. Shed two drops of tears with pain of soul and all the filth is washed away. Give whatever you can to charity, for liturgies, for supplicatory canons, whatever you can, to open the road to the heavens where you will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. My joy will be to learn that you have made a good start before death comes because then it is too late. Keep in mind that I love your soul more than your loving parents and children do. Don't let me leave this life sad. 76th letter. Just be careful and apprehensive. Flee from sin. The Lord God liveth. You are very good, my beloved child. This is why Christ loves you, an indication that he loves you, is his divine grace which has visited you and counseled you since you were a small child. So attend to yourself and do not embitter our God, who is so good for the sake of a small, bitter pleasure. It is Satan's jealousy, who hates everyone whose spiritual eyes Christ opens. Awaken, my beloved child, and attend to yourself, for he sees the things that you do not see. Christ, who is full of mercy, is trying to open the eyes of your soul. Oh, how good he is. On the other hand, the evil one sees this and is trying to close your eyes with bitter pleasure. So, my child, do not cease crying out the name of Christ. At every breath, meditate on his divine name. Even if your mind wanders, don't worry, because this continuous meditation and your constant longing to seek him will draw him to come on his own to see you. Then a refreshing spring will gush forth from within your heart, crying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe, eleison me. Then you will rejoice unceasingly at the voice and sweetness of Christ, the Master. Just be careful and apprehensive. Flee from sin. It falls like snow and nips everything. What you wrote about is a visitation of God. It is the first visitation for any sinner repenting and returning to God. See to it that you cleanse yourself with frank confession. Don't leave the filth of sin inside you so that the evil one will not find an opportunity to throw you down. My child, man is unable to do anything on his own. He neither has, had, nor has, nor will ever have the power to do something good unless God overshadows him from above. Every good thought, every good movement of the intellect is due to the operation of God's grace. 
if you accomplished a task without your body's participation, it is your own. However, if you did it with your body, it is God's, since your body is a creation of God. If you thought of something without your mind, it is yours. However, if you thought of it with your mind, it is God's, since your mind is a creation of God. Therefore, man has nothing of his own. Everything begins from God and ends in God. I am writing these things to you through another's hand, my beloved child, but you must attend to yourself. And when I get well, for I am ill now, then I shall write to you with my own hand. Convey my many prayers to your beloved spiritual father and tell him that I am about to breathe my last. The doctor is sustaining me with injections and is telling me that I shall get well. But my synodia is crying. They are not letting me depart. 77th letter. If you read the lives of saints and toil a little at night. Your letter filled me with enthusiasm, my good child, and I hope that you will soon find the fountain of life. Your letters reveal that you are not far from the fountain. Grace has already opened the entrance for you. Walk straight ahead. Keep knocking a little longer through frequent prayer, and not just a spring, but waterfalls from heaven, and the fountains of the deep will open, so that the feeling you have now of love toward Christ will be watered and grow. The enthusiasm you have is due to the purifying grace of God, which compassionately purifies a person. Grace is divided into three classes. Its first action is called purifying. After it purifies a person, he is given another greater gift, which is called illuminating grace. That is, he receives enlightenment of spiritual knowledge. And the third grace is called perfecting, which we shall talk about when you get there. So behold, now you have your corresponding portion. Whatever good you do, whatever good you think of, it is all due to grace. As the saints write, there is nothing good that is not from God and nothing evil that is not from the devil. So whatever good thing a person thinks, it is due to the grace of God. And now, if you exert yourself in the prayer and pray continuously, if you read lives of saints and toil a little at night, you will quickly obtain what you seek, and your little soul will rejoice that Christ loves you so much. He is love, and he seeks love from us. It is when we love our neighbor that we show that we love Christ too. So exert yourself as much as you can, and I pray that you will quickly obtain him whom you desire. 78th letter. Without struggling very hard, you can quickly reach great heights. I rejoice greatly, my child, because of your health and the many good deeds you do for our Christian brothers. This is the truth. The more a person runs to help his neighbor, the more the Lord's grace abounds in him. For love is the first and greatest commandment of God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul and heart. And the second is like unto it, and thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the more one thirsts for the salvation of his brother, the more his soul overflows with the love of God. And without struggling very hard, you can quickly reach great heights. For love has a share in everything. It vaunteth not itself. It does not behave itself unseemingly. It seeks not its own. 
it is not easily provoked, it thinketh no evil, and so forth. Do you see that it has a share in everything and quickly leads to dispassion those who attend to it? Our Lord's beloved disciple did well to say, God is love, and he who dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Do you see, my beloved child, that the Lord is always with you when you keep his commandments, and that a fragrant angel counts your steps and all your actions? Read the Old Testament devoutly, and you will extract the divine nectar of faith and love. In it God spoke directly to men, and the angels guided them. God is everywhere. There is no place where God is not. The more you pay attention to him, the more he pays attention to you. You cry out to him, Where art thou, my God? And he answers, I am present, my child. I am always beside you. Both inside and outside, above and below, wherever you turn, everything shouts, God! In him we live and move. We breathe God. We eat God. We clothe ourselves with God. Everything praises and blesses God. All of creation shouts his praise. Everything animate and inanimate speaks wondrously and glorifies the Creator. Let every breath praise the Lord. Always have the Holy Gospel in your pocket, and when you find a brief opportunity, read an excerpt. Thus Christ gives you light and guides you towards his commandments. He completes your love and guides you to imitate him. Cry out to his dear mother constantly. Read the salutations, and she will protect you. She will always guard you from every evil. Acquire copies of the book, The Way of a Pilgrim, and distribute them to our Christian brothers so that they might be benefited spiritually. Always have a little icon of our Panagia in your shirt and venerate it when you go to sleep. The more you love her, the more she will love you. And whenever you cry out to her in difficult times, you will feel her help and consolation appreciably. She always intercedes unceasingly for all children who fervently cry out to her. 79th letter. All the yearning of the soul should absorb God. A wave of joy filled my soul, my child, because of your wonderful letter telling about how the grace of our blessed and holy God visited you. My beloved child, I have begun to recover now. For forty days I ate nothing. For three nights they did not sleep waiting for me to die, but my time had not yet come. My little children wept continuously and they served me like angels of God. Finally now I am able once more to grasp things, to write, to answer all those who write, and wait. You wrote to me, my beloved child, about the grace you felt in your heart, so I shall begin writing about love. Since God is full of love, and since everything he made, above and below, came to be out of his great love, he does not seek anything else from man but love. When he gave the written law to Moses, the first and greatest of all commandments, he cried out, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. In other words, all the yearning of the soul should absorb God. Knowledge, perception, the mind, theoria, radiance, and every motion of the noose, everything and all things should think of God, and man, that clay, should return 
thine own of thine own. Truly a great mystery. All the virtues and divine gifts have perception of the divine and action of grace. Divine love, though, when one reaches the point of loving him who loves, transcends perception. Thenceforth divine love acts and theoria reigns. Then he who receives the action of divine love cries out, O my Jesus, sweet love, before I saw thee, thou didst see me. O light of my soul, before I knew thee, thou didst reveal thyself to me. And before I loved thee, thou didst love me. O life and sweet breath of mine, I was in darkness, and thy sweet voice awakened me and called me. I saw thee when thou didst make thyself known to me. To know thee is to behold thee. O my joy and spiritual delight, O heavenly love, O love which burns yet does not consume. 80th letter. Once you love God, then you will also love your neighbor as yourself. So, my beloved child, when this love begins to burn, then we begin fulfilling the second commandment of God. Once you love God, then you will also love your neighbor as yourself. Do you hear what the Lord says, my little child? So when you, my beloved child, thirst to benefit your brother, and you go and tell him what you know, thirsting to help him, this is love toward your neighbor. You love your neighbor as yourself. The feeling in your heart that you wrote about which causes joy and exaltation is the love of God, which is beginning to act in your soul. If you are vigilant and say the prayer constantly and help your little brethren, you ignite the fire of God's love in your soul. And the more you thirst and run to help your neighbor, the more God opens the torrents of love and waters you. And when you hear the Apostle Paul saying, Who shall separate me from love? It is not Paul saying it, but love itself crying out to love through the vessel of Paul. Therefore he who dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him, for God is love. Wherever this love falls, it burns and does not consume. One thirsts, but this thirst cannot be quenched. The heart burns with love and cries out, Where art thou? my sweet love, my Jesus, the light of my life. And the heart burns even more until the senses cease. So, my beloved child, seek nothing else but love. Count me worthy, O Lord, to love thee as much as thou lovest me. But this is enough for now, my little child, because I am tired. My breathing problems torture me greatly. I had sent you another short letter that Father Ephraim wrote, I was unable to hold a pen then, but now, glory to thee, O God, I am beginning to write again. Careful, my child, be very wary of heretics. You are amidst foreign races and languages. Do not speak with them at all, because your pure tender soul will be defiled by their blasphemous words. Our Orthodox Church has cut them off. 81st Letter I will not leave, I shall fall asleep here with my fathers. Four days have not yet passed since I sent you a letter, my child, and I have begun to write to you a little labor of love to have as a keepsake. Since the time you left me, I have taken up the responsibility of being your spiritual father, to pray for you, not as a stranger, but as my beloved child. And in addition to the liturgies and the other prayers, 
I do six prayer ropes for you every night. Thank you for everything you have done for us. Don't worry now. Have patience in your sorrows and illnesses and cry out to Christ with the beloved prayer. It should never leave your lips. Cry out to his and our sweet mother so that she shelters you from every evil. I sent you another little pamphlet, the second one. Now I am sending you the third one. But I have become weak. I don't know if I shall be able to write another one. If not, I shall pray for you from the other life. My prayer will always be with you all. Have Christ and the Panagia as helpers. Let their sweetest and most desirable name always be in your noose and in your heart. This suffices in place of many prayers. Don't, for, don't worry about not finding grace when you pray. It will come once again. This is why it withdraws, so that you seek it with greater longing. When it returns, you have to be more careful in case you lose it. But again, it will withdraw. In this manner, one becomes perfect, practiced, and experienced to guide others also safely along the path of salvation. So exert yourself and watch out for the devil's snares. For the violent take the kingdom of heaven by force. As for the things you wrote to me, your spiritual brethren have taken care of everything. Today we had doctors and injections, but the hand of the Lord is above all. I wrote to you that my difficulty in breathing is caused by my heart condition, but deep down the truth is that it is from God. When I was young, I struggled voluntarily. Now we must struggle involuntarily to have a greater reward. I see it all, my child, but what can I do? Your brethren are not giving up. They are trying to revive me, but I see that the hand of the Lord is above me. I, the poor fellow, weep inconsolably and fruitlessly. I shout at them, let me die. I will not leave, I will not go anywhere, lest I die on the road. I shall fall asleep here with my fathers. I bid you farewell, humble Father Yosef. Part 2. Epistle to a Hezekist Hermit An epistle to an ascetic of the holy mountain, divided into chapters, and containing in brief a. Practical advice, how to pass a 24-hour day, and a rule of food and prayer. b. Answers to questions concerning delusion and grace, knowledge and prudence, humility and love, the dual warfare of the demons, the three states of nature, and perfect love and see some other things that he perceived, observed, and heard, which he wrote about to his spiritual children. Prologue My beloved child in the Lord, greetings, and may the grace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon your soul. Amen. Since I see you, my child, thirsting like a deer, and longing for the heavenly springs of the waters of divine grace, and seeking them, with fervent love, although I am illiterate, I am undertaking to write this to you, forgetting my own incapacity and ignorance, and trusting in the prayers of my fathers. And now, with God's help, and with your holy prayers, I shall start from the beginning to expound on the monastic and ascetical way of life, and the way in which a monk is made worthy of the heavenly kingdom, and becomes a partaker of the eternal blessings by the grace and mercy of God. Do not grow weary of studying these letters, my child, but read them diligently every day until they are engraved within your soul and produce good and fine fruits. 
Do not consider them to be just ordinary words, because they are not. They are words of experience from holy fathers enlightened by divine grace. I was taught by some of them and tasted their fruit in part. Since I am illiterate, it took me a great deal of hard work to write them down for you, for I even shed my blood in order to cultivate them. And now I present them ready before you like a banquet with many different kinds of food and like a garden with various trees full of fruit. So do not be negligent, but continually pick and eat them so that you may have eternal life and avoid the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, which Adam and Eve ate and then died. O Lord, may we be thus protected from the forbidden fruit and enlightened with the truth by thee, our sweetest God, to whom belongs glory and dominion unto the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 1 On the monastic order and lifestyle, namely how to pass a 24-hour day. Behold, my child, I shall begin, first of all, by telling you how to live. Even though many times through countless counsels and letters I have already told you, behold, once again I shall briefly explain in part the necessary subjects. Listen. In the midday at 7, Athenite time, that is about 2 p.m., eat your regular amount of food and sleep for three or four hours. When you wake up, do vespers on your prayer rope. After you finish, make some coffee to help you in your vigil. And after you drink it, begin compline. Quietly, without speaking, without light. Also say the salutations to the Most Holy Theotokos. When you finish, be still, standing up if you are able, with your hands crossed and say this prayer noetically, without light, because light scatters the mind. Quote, Lord Jesus Christ, sweetest Father, God and Lord of mercy, and creator of all creation, look upon my humility and forgive all my sins which I have committed all the years of my life up to this very day and hour. Send forth thine all-holy spirit, the Comforter, so that he may teach, illumine, and shelter me, so that I shall not sin, so that with a pure soul and heart I may adore and worship, glorify, thank, and love thee with all my soul and heart my sweetest Savior, Benefactor, and God, who is worthy of all love and worship. Yes, good eternal Father, co-eternal Son, and all-Holy Spirit, count me worthy of enlightenment and divine spiritual knowledge, so that by beholding thy sweet grace I may bear the burden of this vigil tonight, and render unto thee my prayers and thanks. Through the intercessions of the Most Holy Theotokos and of all the saints, Amen. Afterwards, Say some words of your own, as much as you can and as you know, inciting the holy compassion of God towards mercy and love. Once you get very tired, sit down. Bring to mind various salutary thoughts, death, hell, the judgment at the second coming, and weep as much as the Lord allows you to. Next, turn your thoughts to paradise, to the enjoyment of the righteous, to the eternal blessings, and thank our good Savior and benevolent God. Then stand up and do your prayer rule. After that, sit down again. Read Lives of Saints and other compunctious and beneficial books. If sleep comes upon you, stand up and begin the service. And after you finish everything, also the hours and the supplicatory canon on the prayer rope, as I have taught you, sit down and relax. Sleep a little until daybreak.
When you wake up, drink something hot with 80 grams of bread or rusk and begin your work while saying the prayer with your noose ceaselessly. If you have time, you may read and weep in silence. Cook your food by measuring with a milk can as I taught you. So a can like that filled with dry legumes or rice becomes two plates of food and suffices for two days, half each day. And after it boils well, eat it at 2 p.m. together with 160 grams of bread or rusk. And when oil is permitted, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, put as much as 35 grams of oil on your plate. And if you have any, put some cheese, egg, a sardine, or 10 olives. Also, eat a little of whatever fruits or sweets you have, partaking of everything for the glory of God. Eat and have humility so that you do not judge others. Afternoon, you do not have a blessing to receive or speak with anyone, neither a monk nor a layman. Whoever it is, let him come in the morning. This rule must be kept. Even if it is Pascha, Nativity, or the day before Lent, you will always eat once a day. After Cheese Fair Sunday, do not fast for three days, but drink some tea with a little bread or a rusk in the evening. And in general, have moderation and discernment in everything. But since I have told you these things many times, and since you already know the order, I shall not say the same things over again, because practicing the virtues after a long time with the help of grace will make us wise concerning the rest. Chapter 2 Answers to Questions of the Same Person Behold, my child, you have learned how to live. Learn now also about all that you asked and desired to know. First of all, we shall speak about what you are hearing within you. Agius, 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 holy, 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 and so on, as you wrote. I am telling you, my child, that you are actually sleeping when you hear such things. For there is a kind of sleep that befalls those who struggle, when the body is weakened, that is very subtle. While one is standing up or sitting down, it robs him without his realizing it. Then he sees these things in his sleep, and he thinks that he is awake, but he is not. He ends up sleeping all night without realizing it. So then try keeping vigil at night by standing up and reading. Walk around in your room. Wash your face to wake up. Then you will realize whether or not you are what you are experiencing is from grace. All who struggle see such things in their sleep. Furthermore, if you see such things while you are awake, it is not an illusion. The devil does not say things such as, I worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You also wrote about the leaping of the heart, heart that you feel. As for this, know that when a person purifies his soul, and when the new Adam, our sweetest Jesus, is conceived within, the heart is unable to contain the joy and the inexpressible pleasure that falls upon it. So it leaps, while very sweet tears flow from the eyes, and the whole man becomes like a flame of fire out of love for Jesus. His noose turns entirely into light and is astonished and marvels at the glory of God, not as you wrote, saying that you are darkened and don't know where you are. You misunderstand these things, so be careful. Furthermore, you said that your body becomes paralyzed, as if dead. 
and I tell you many times the body becomes paralyzed. But the noose becomes all eye, and the heart feels much sweetness and infinite joy. In any case, these things, even if they are the way I'm writing to you, do not indicate great heights, but are characteristic of beginners. While the soul is being purified, it sees these things. When it has has been completely purified, though, it sees differently. I shall not write about this stage to you now because you would not understand. As for now, I shall tell you only this. Pray to God to give you the knowledge of spiritual discernment, how you should think, and what you should have in your noose, until you are counted worthy of the truth. And the real truth is Christ, to whom be glory and dominion unto the ages. Amen. Chapter 3 On the Spiritual Work of the Intellect and How We Must Think You have learned the specific answers to your questions, my child. Now listen how to fight the enemies. You should read this many times with attention as if it were a school lesson so that you know what to seek and how to fight thoughts of pride when they tell you that you are a saint or that you have grace and you weep profusely. This is how you should speak to the Lord. Quote, O my beloved, sweetest Jesus Christ, who, who was it that entreated thee on my behalf and who prayed for me to come into the world and to be born by good and faithful Christian parents? While so many others are born to Turks, Catholics, Masons, Jews, pagans, and the rest, who do not believe, but as if are as if they had not been completely born and end up being punished eternally. So how much must I love thee and thank thee for such a great gift and kindness which thou hast bestowed upon me? And even if I were to shed my blood, I would not be able to thank thee enough. And furthermore, whose prayers made thee my sweetest Savior, patient with me for so many years. For I have sinned since my youth, and not grown tired of seeing me acting unjustly, stealing, getting angry, being gluttonous, greedy, envious, jealous, and full of every evil, and insulting thee, my God, with my deeds. But thou, my Lord, didst not send death upon me to seize me in my sins, but readily thou wast patient with me. If I had died, I would have been punished eternally. How good art thou, O Lord! And who entreated thee to bring me to repentance and confession, and to clothe me with the great and angelic schema? How magnificent art thou, O Lord! How awesome is thy great dispensation! How abundant are thy gifts, O Master! How inexhaustible are thy indescribable wonders! Who will not shudder, marveling at thy goodness? Who will not be amazed, beholding thine abundant mercy? I shudder, O Master, when I speak of thine abundant gifts. My Master and Lord is crucified to save the crucifiers. With my sins, I crucify my Creator, and he who fashioned me frees me. O sweet love of Jesus, how much I am indebted to thee, not only because of the eternal life which thou hast promised to give me, should I love thee, not only because thou wilt give me thy grace, not even because of paradise, but I am obligated to love thee because thou hast freed me from the slavery of sin and passions. What a great miracle! What slave 
that has been bought seeks payment because he works for his Lord? And how can he seek freedom, since he owes the money for his ransom? Behold, the King and Lord of all was crucified for you, and freed you from the slavery of the demons. He gave you commandments as an antidote for the passions, so that by keeping them you may escape from the passions that conquer you. He says to you, Do not commit adultery. So you work hard to become chaste, because if you do not force yourself to become chaste, necessarily you will become a fornicator. Do not steal, so that you may become trustworthy. And if you do not force yourself to become trustworthy, you will become a thief without fail. Do not love money, so that you will be charitable. And if you do not force yourself to become charitable, you will become a miser. Do not be a glutton, so that you will be abstinent. Have love, so that you will not become envious. This is how it is with all the virtues. And so, after the Lord first freed us through holy baptism, he gave us his divine commandments as an antidote for the passions, so that we would not fall once again into the slavery of sin. Therefore, we do not work for God as if he owes us a reward, nor for eternal life, but as bought slaves we work, so that we do not become slaves of the demons. We are obliged to work because we have been redeemed, and since we are in debt, we should serve him with great humility, keeping all his holy commandments. If we are found to be faithful servants, the Lord freely gives us his divine grace and delivers us from the passions. He also gives us his heavenly kingdom, saying, Come, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things, I shall make thee ruler over many things. Do you see, my child, he does not say to us, Come, let me pay you for your hard work. But he gives us his sweet grace out of his loving mercy and out of his great goodness. He takes away from us the troublesome passions within us, and in general he counts us worthy of his kingdom. So when you approach to fulfill your duty, to pray, that is, approach with great humility, seeking the mercy of the Lord, not because he owes it to you to give you grace, but because you are a captive, seeking that he free you as a favor. Say, O Master, our sweetest Lord Jesus Christ, send forth thy grace and free me from the bonds of sin. Enlighten the darkness of my soul, so that I apprehend thine infinite mercy and love and thank thee worthily, my sweetest Savior, who art worthy of all love and thanks. Yes, my good benefactor and most merciful Lord, do not withdraw thy mercy from me, but have compassion upon thy creature. I realize, O Lord, the weight of my transgressions, but I also know thine incomparable mercy. I behold the darkness of my insensitive soul, but I have good hope and await thy divine illumination and the deliverance from my evil, foul, and destructive passions through the intercession of thy sweetest mother, our Lady of Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary, and of all the saints, I mean. Do not cease entreating God like this until your last breath. He is able to fulfill your request. To him be glory and dominion unto the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 4 On Caution, namely how to wrestle with the thought of arrogance when divine aid comes. 
You have learned, my child, how to think. Learn now also how to fight. If the good Lord visits us, frees us from the passions, and shows us his infinite love, do not think that you no longer need to be cautious. For as long as we are poor, we seek wealth. But once we become rich, we are all the more apprehensive, lest we fall asleep or become negligent and thieves break in and steal our treasure. Now listen to an example about these thieves. After you pray, divine illumination comes upon you and you feel joy and inexpressible sweetness. Immediately, a thief, pride, comes and secretly tells you, Oh, now you are a saint. Tell him, Shut up, evil demon, for even if I ascend into the third heaven, it will not be of my own doing. Behold what Paul said, I was caught up and heard unspeakable words. Now then, did he ascend voluntarily? No. So since someone else takes him up, does he have anything of his own? No. Behold what he said as he was saving the entire world with his preaching. Not mine own will do I do these things, but by Christ who worketh in me. Do you see, my child? So what did he have of his own, inasmuch as someone else led him? So then you also should say to that evil pride, If I ascend to the heavens, and see angels, and speak with the Lord, it will not be of my own doing. The king wanted to take some clay, mud, out of the mire and put it beside his throne. Isn't he a king? He can do as he pleases. But can the clay become proud because it is near the king? No. Rather, it marvels at the goodness and the humility of the king, at how he did not abhor the filthy clay, but instead brought it near him. So just as he raised you from the mud, likewise, whenever he wills, he can toss you down into your former state again. So neither when he raised you was it due to any progress of yours, nor should you grieve when he throws you back down to where he took you from. But say, As for me, Lord, I am only worthy to be a son of hell, and I do not complain, for I continue to commit deeds that merit torment. You willed it so, and raised me to the heavens. If you will it, you can throw me down into Hades. May thy holy will be done. You should only grieve when you sin and fall. And you should not grieve because you fell, but because you sat in God with your ingratitude after he showed you so much love. But once again you should resume hope and arise. Do not despair because you have sinned. Whereas if your spiritual state changed without committing a sin, do not be afraid, but rejoice because you have seen the good things of God and acquired more faith and a fervent hope that by his mercy and benevolence you will become an heir of those things you saw, therefore struggle to obtain more humility. Furthermore, when the evil demon tells you that you are superior to the other monks, tell him, Shut up, demon! Because if the Lord wishes to pour out his divine grace upon all men, everyone would become the same. So how is someone to blame if he does not have grace or has only a little? Behold, the Lord gives five talents to one person and two to another. Is it perhaps his fault that he received two? No. The Lord knows what is best for each person. However, even though he was given only two, he heard the same words, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He did not say to him, 
Why didn't you make them ten as well? Do you see, my child, that you have indeed received much from the Lord, and that he will ask much of you? So neither can the one who received abundant grace scorn and criticize the one who did not, nor should the one who does not have the same grace grieve and grumble, because God did not give him similar gifts. But he who has grace must patiently bear with him who does not, putting up with all his bodily and spiritual illnesses, and must guide him with discernment along the spiritual path until he, too, doubles his talent accordingly, or rather, until a ray comes and opens and enlightens the eyes of his soul so that he may see his deficiency and obey unquestioningly the person superior to him. So this, my child, is how we must think, that without the help of our holy God, we are unable to do anything. As the Lord tells us, without me ye can do nothing. And, except the Lord build the house, they that build labor in vain. So we must seek to be granted spiritual knowledge along with discernment. For without these two, even things that seem good to our eyes can actually be bad and harmful. And where we think there is honey, there can actually be poison. For discernment sees, measures, and weighs, while knowledge destroys and abolishes every evil and proud thought. Humility collects thoughts, and grace and love keep them, as love is the culmination of all virtues. It was out of love that our sweet Jesus came and was crucified to show us the infinite love he has for his creatures. To him be glory and dominion unto the ages. Amen. Chapter 5 on how divine grace comes and how it is distinguished from delusion and about the short path. So my child, listen also how divine grace comes and how it is recognized. We know that once someone has tasted wine, he can tell if they give him vinegar instead. This is how you should understand divine grace as well. One who has already tasted it recognizes delusion. For the demons imitate grace. But he who has eaten the fruit of truth, as we have said, knows the fruit of delusion. For if his noose pays attention to the delusion even slightly, his heart is agitated and filled with disturbance. His noose is darkened, and even his hairs stand on end. But also it blows him up like a balloon, whereas divine grace is sweet, peaceful, humble, quiet, purifying, illuminating, joyous, and there is no room for doubt that it is divine grace. Now pay close attention to learn how divine grace comes and how we can recognize the path of truth from the path of delusion. We say that the monastic life is like this. Once the grace of God enlightens a person and he leaves the world, he goes to a monastery or somewhere else with many other brethren. He is obedient to everyone and is at rest keeping the divine commandments. And by fulfilling the spiritual responsibilities he has been given, he awaits with good hope the mercy of God who loves man. Well, this is the common road many fathers have walked. However, there is also a shorter road, which I shall mention here. This shorter road is not an invention of human knowledge, but is from the master himself, who guides each one of us as his holy will wants. After the merciful and good God sends a ray of his divine grace into the heart of a sinner, he arises at once 
and seeks spiritual fathers to confess the evil deeds he has done. He also seeks the wilderness and caves for protection from the causes of the passions and to correct his previous sins with hardships, hunger, thirst, cold, and heat, and through other ascetical practices. And the Lord gives him even more ardor, which like a flaming furnace burns his heart with fervent arrows for God and immeasurable zeal toward fulfilling the divine commandments and boundless hatred towards the passions and sin. So he begins with great eagerness to give away all his belongings, whether he has many or few. Then once he becomes entirely destitute and keeps in part the divine commandments, he is no longer able to hold back his love and yearning for the wilderness. So he runs like a thirsty deer to the wilderness, seeking a guide and leader for the ascent of the spiritual life. Unfortunately, though, today all the eminent guides have vanished, and there are very few who walk this path. So he cries and laments because he cannot find a guide as he desires, as in the old days. But what can he do since he has a great fervor for stillness? He inquires and seeks the most experienced guide and puts himself under obedience. And with his guide's prayers and blessings, he begins his spiritual struggles. Now, many who have this fervor would receive the holy schema and withdraw by themselves to a quiet place with the prayers and blessing of their elder. And every now and then they would go and receive his advice. Others would remain together and had permission at certain hours to be still and undertake every kind of virtue, to weep, to keep vigil, to fast, to pray, to read, to do matanyas according to their strength, and in general to give heed to purity and fight against the passions. And once he finds some quiet place, as we have said, he applies himself to Ascasis even more. However, one must be careful at this point, for many have withdrawn not out of a flaming love for Christ and a desire for struggles and afflictions, but they want stillness in order to serve their passions. For they cannot endure being obedient and insulted, but they love their own will. And once they become slaves of the passions, anger, and sinful desires, they serve these desires and completely fall into delusion. But he who has truly withdrawn for Christ's sake has constant tears, weeps for his sins, and cultivates every virtue. And with fervent faith he dedicates himself to struggling until death. He puts his noose into his heart and forces himself to say the prayer while inhaling and exhaling. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe, eleison me. Moreover, he collects his noose according to the directions of the watchful fathers, niptikipateres. By doing all this and painfully seeking the will of God, he begins little by little to perceive divine aid noetically which spiritually cleanses him little by little, as a bath cleanses us physically. It softens his heart, and it moves it to feel compunction, to mourn, to be obedient, and to have greater zeal and ardor. And like a mother with her child, it supports him and educates him. Then when grace withdraws, he laments and seeks it, without understanding the wisdom of our holy God. So he adds fast upon fast, standing in vigils, prayers and supplications, thinking that this will attract the grace of God. 
but by the dispensation of divine providence, temptations afflict him in many ways to test him, so that with even more tears he seeks divine aid. And then, when the divine visitation comes again, he cries out like an infant, Ah, ah, why did you abandon me? The demons almost strangled me. Don't ever leave again. Ah, what can I do to keep you? Thinking like an infant that his struggles bring this visitation. But as soon as he has had a good taste of it, once again God withdraws immediately. Little by little, though, he returns more quickly and more intensely. But he who is still an infant in wisdom and knowledge begins to grow accustomed to it and grows bold, thinking that henceforth it has been given to him as a reward for his toils. For three or four consecutive years, he sees the grace of God continually training him and making him wiser, while his passions diminish and the demons are unable to fight him for long because divine grace protects him. When he is awake, he has tears to comfort him, whether he is walking or working. If he is praying noetically, he noetically perceives the radiant cloud which occasionally visits him. And when he is sleeping, even if only a little, he sees beautiful dreams. Gardens with brilliant golden flowers and indescribable royal palaces shining brighter than the sun. And many other different things which the mind meditates on after he wakes up, and they rouse him to greater ardor and zeal. Then he marvels at the beauty of the eternal blessings and wonders when he will be made worthy to inherit them. However, one must be cautious and discerning here too, my child, and must not believe in dreams, but must recognize whether they are from God or from the demons. But since not everyone has this discernment, one should not believe in them at all. However, dreams from God can be recognized. Sometimes one sees them in deep sleep, other times in a light sleep, as if sleeping but not really sleeping, and for a short duration. And when he wakes up, he's full of joy, and his mind meditates on them, and they bring him theoria. For years and years, he brings them to mind, and they are unforgettable. On the contrary, dreams from the demons fill the soul with disturbance. When one wakes up and the mind tries to recall them, he is filled with fear and his heart does not accept them. But even during sleep as he sees them, they are not stationary, but they change into forms and shapes, into places and ways, into actions and movements. From these changes and the disturbance and the unpleasantness, you are able to recognize where they are from. There are also other things proceeding from the imagination and from overeating, but it is not necessary to point them out. But as we have said elsewhere, the heart of a struggler ceaselessly meditates on prayers, even while he sleeps. However, this spiritual infant does not have sufficient knowledge to understand and discern the providence of, of God, for until this stage he is still drinking milk and has not acquired clear eyes, but emanates both light and darkness, and his works are mixed with the passions. So when he sees all those blessings, he starts to think, Behold what God has given me because of my struggle and affliction. Then an evil demon secretly sows the poison as of old with Eve, and this infant opens his ears. But this happens also 
by divine permission so that he learns humility. So the crafty demon starts telling him, See, nowadays they say that God does not give grace anymore, but just take a look at yourself. The truth is they just don't want to struggle, so they hinder others and tell them, You will be deluded, you will fall, you will get weak. The primeval evil one teaches him many other things without realizing the trap that the demon is weaving for him. He is plundered because he is inexperienced in battle and accepts a lie as the truth. But this may also occur by God's providence, as we have said, to make him wise so that he is not an infant forever. Glory to the wisdom and knowledge of God who arranges in various ways the cure of our soul. Glory and praise always, now and forever, unto the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 6 On how such strugglers fall into delusions when they have no guide and what the remedy for their cure is. You have heard up to this point how grace comes. Listen now also how strugglers are deluded, for they must use great caution. Many have fallen in the past, and still many fall every day. Because once a person accepts a lie as the truth, he is puffed up with conceit and begins saying and teaching that people do not want to struggle, and that if a person merely wants to and exerts himself, he becomes a vessel of grace. Angrily arguing with those who object, he falls little by little into delusion and becomes a slave of the demons, saying that everyone else will be damned, because no one has knowledge except for him. He is no longer persuaded by those who tell him what is beneficial. Then he locks himself up in isolation, doing the will of the demon dwelling within him. And if he remains shut up, the demon will either strangle him or hang him, convincing him that he will die as a martyr. But if the demon does not do this, he will throw him into indifference and negligence so that he abandons everything and overeats and gets drunk. He does not realize that he has fallen so that he may seek his cure, but thinks that he is doing well and that he is the true and right path. But the Lord who loves man waits for him to realize why he has fallen. If he perceives his fall, he has his cure. So then, my child, this is one delusion, and its remedy is for one to realize that he is deluded and seek with tears an experienced physician able to save him so that he gives him the appropriate medicines for the safety of his soul. But let us return to where we left off. If a person does not go astray, as the one we mentioned, he may instead go astray by thinking in his ignorance that he has acquired grace by his own efforts. So he argues that if one merely wants to exert oneself, one can receive grace. But since he has fear, he says with natural discernment, how can I criticize the others and say that no one has knowledge and that only I am enlightened? Thus, beating and being beaten, he wrestles with thoughts, while the grace of God moves away from him little by little, allowing him to fall into temptations so that he might learn humility. And since he cannot endure the bitterness of the thoughts and is afraid that he might be deluded, he runs off seeking an experienced elder to heal his wounds. Although all the fathers are good and holy, and each one gives his opinion, such a person is not healed because the hour has not yet come for God to reveal the physician and the medication. 
This is why he is not informed from above. Besides, he needs a word of praxis, of action, from someone higher than him to cast down his haughtiness. And since he does not find what he is seeking, because he does not have the patience for it to come when the Lord wants, he becomes even more puffed up. Then he is handed over to bodily illness. Grace departs. The body falls ill. He cannot do his regular duties as before. He is overwhelmed by negligence, despondency, heaviness of the body, limitless sleep, paralysis of the limbs, darkness of the noose, inconsolable grief, thoughts of disbelief, fear of delusion. And since he is unable to bear it, he runs seeking help. But as we have said many times, it is difficult to find a practical guide today. Thus one tells him to eat milk, eggs, cheese, and meat to regain strength. He is persuaded, since he is unable to do otherwise. For he has lost his patience, and his zeal and fervency of faith have cooled. He has become like a madman from everyone's advice. Others tell him, you are lost, and others, you are deluded. That's how others were lost, too. And everyone, according to his own opinion, says out of love whatever he knows. Then he starts eating, drinking, digging, and so on. So he who was once a man of watchfulness turns into a merchant, a viniculturalist, and a gardener. Yet he is not content to remain even on the common path of the fathers, but he will either throw away the schema completely and get married, or he will become, as we said, a slave of the flesh and an enemy of the other ascetics. And when he hears about someone who fasts, keeps vigil, weeps, and prays, he gets angry and agitated and says, Those things are delusions. You will be deluded. God does not want these things today. I, too, used to do that, and they almost had to tie me up with chains. Furthermore, he completely disregards his spiritual duties, lives with great insensitivity, and is at the threshold of hell, due to the sins in which he wallows at every moment. Moreover, he becomes an obstacle to salvation for the others. He wants everyone to become like him, who was at first a zealous fighter, but now a slave of the demons. So this, my child, is another delusion that swindles strugglers. Its remedy is humility of heart. He must return to the place where he was and patiently await the mercy of God. And if divine help comes, fine. Otherwise, he should place himself under obedience and be humbled, following the common path of the fathers. But let us get back to the subject. If the one we mentioned endures the struggle in patience, with patience, awaits the compassionate mercy of God and humbles himself first. After he tries out the advice of the fathers a little and sees that no cure is happening because the medicines he is given are unsuitable and inappropriate, though certainly someone has what is appropriate, he begins humbly and in tears to seek it from God and men. And our holy God hides his grace even more and abandons him to temptations until he humbles himself completely and teaches him well how he must think, for he is still arrogant. Henceforth is the greatest struggle, and the true intentions of the struggler are tried as gold in the furnace. Since he is full of passions, most of all pride, he is handed over to faint-heartedness, dejection, anger, blasphemy, and every evil of the enemy. 
and every moment he tastes spiritual strangulation and drinks of the waters of hell. The demons stir all his passions day and night. Meanwhile, the Lord stands far off, not assisting him as before. A true fighter, though, despite all these dangers, does not abandon his post, but stands, defending himself and patching the parts of his vessel that were ruined in the fight with the demons. He sits weeping and lamenting his wounds. He tries to heal his own wounds and awaits in agony either the way out of the temptations or his utter destruction. With a small hope, he says, It is better for me to die in the fight rather than to give up and let the way of God be blasphemed, since I have so many testimonies that all the saints passed through this road. Abba Isaac the Syrian especially, the boast of Hezekism and the consolation of ascetics, assures and encourages us more than all the other fathers do. With such consolations, he heals his despondency a little and has patience. By eating a little humble food, he heals his body and is able to bear and endure the afflictions and the bodily struggles. And he puts all the powers of his noose on guard, lest he blaspheme the name of God and the turmoil from the demons and the passions. So this great struggle lasts quite some time, according to one's patience and as long as God wills, until he thoroughly purifies him from the various passions and brings him to complete awareness to see clearly which things are from himself and which are from God. After he has been tempted enough, he begins to think correctly, saying to himself, Vile wretch, where are those things that you used to say, that the others don't exert themselves, and that this is why they don't make progress? Woe to you, for unless the Lord builds the house of thus thy soul, in vain dost thou labor. He ponders this, along with many other things, and constantly fights with the demons. He gives one blow and receives ten. And the one blow he gives is patience, which God does not deprive him entirely of, but leaves him a little bit, just enough for him to stand on his feet. A secret voice tells him, Be careful, do not move from your post, for you will fall and be utterly lost. Then your remembrance will be erased from the book of life, and you will become worse than worldly people. So he endures, but the malicious demons fight him so much that they nearly strangle him. In his sleep, he sees entire battalions of them and they torture him in millions of ways. And while he is awake, he sees all the turmoil of the passions. May the all good God give us bravery and patience so that we may safely pass the spiritual danger. Chapter 7, on how divine grace returns after it trains us well. It would be good for you to hear how the wise ruler arranges the way out of temptations and the return of his divine grace. Finally, after one fully realizes and sees the weakness of his human nature and reaches a deep humility, then the Lord says, His struggle and spiritual strangulation are enough now. Let us help this wounded person. But he does not send angels to help him, because the nature of men of the eighth millennium cannot endure it, nor does he give him his grace when he is alone, as in the beginning, so that he cannot say, 
that he was given grace because of his own patience and struggle. Therefore, the wise God who arranges everything for our benefit, who raises to the heavens and lowers to Hades, who puts to rest and brings to life, also does similarly here. He allows temptations to come upon him to cleanse and heal him. And when the time comes for him to take them away again, he provides the way out with discretion and wisdom. God enlightens a like-minded practiced elder, an experienced guide able to save souls, or rather God himself dwells in him and speaks through him to providentially meet with him. And as they talk, behold the return of divine grace. The elder speaks and his words penetrate like lightning to the depth of his heart, and divine light encompasses his soul, and the demons flee far away from the elder who has become unbearable to them. For at that moment, the holy elder is all divine fire. His words are filled with divine illumination. His advice is keen, with great wisdom and understanding, and full of holy thoughts, for it is accompanied by divine grace. And as soon as that advice enters his heart, his noose is moved to amazement and wonder, for the elder supernaturally teaches him everything necessary to lift the huge burden of the demon's evil. Then, once the elder revives him and gives him enough soul-saving guidance, they separate. That whole winter night of struggling miraculously passes in a moment without, his, without it, him realizing how it passed. After they separate and he returns to his cell, he who was previously an infant has now become tried through experience with the demons. And he cries out, shedding streams of sweetest tears of love and shouting, with patience I waited patiently for the Lord and he was attentive unto me. And had the Lord not helped me, my soul had well nigh sojourned in Hades and many other things. And once he returns to his hut and puts to practice the guidance he received, he is freed at once from everything that had previously overpowered him. Shortly thereafter, through the prayers of that holy elder whom he would see even at night and be strengthened by him, he is entirely healed. Then he is filled with the love of Christ. His passions have quieted down and he has peace of thoughts. Moreover, he is given a strong faith caused by Theoria not like the faith in the beginning which comes from reading and the secret hope we have from holy baptism and correct dogmas, but faith caused by theoria when one sees and believes. Likewise, all the other gifts from God come together like a chain, grace and mercy, without his seeking them. Furthermore, when he stands at prayer, he cannot say, give me this or that, because the Lord gives him more than he asks for. And his prayer is that the Lord's will be done. From time to time while he prays, he is captivated by the love of Jesus. As he unceasingly thanks the Lord for the multitude of benefactions, his noose is seized by amazement and wonder, and the air of divine grace stops his mouth. Then Christ reigns. Once the theoria passes somewhat, he becomes as if bodiless. And in amazement he cries out, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How inscrutable are thy mysteries, O Lord! Who is able to trace out the immeasurable riches of thy grace? And what tongue can explain thine incomparable mysteries? O Lord, 
If thou dost not hold back the waves of thy grace, man melteth like wax. Saying these things, he considers himself even worse than the reptiles of the earth. And if it were possible, he would like to be put, to put all the people into his heart, for them to see and be saved, even if he himself were to lose the grace of God. But since this has been tried already, he knows that it is impossible for someone to save others. Therefore, he is satisfied, remaining in his stillness and praying that God will save them all. So this, my child, in short, is the way of divine grace. And he who has reached here is able to tell us what else he sees, if he has not met many other obstacles. For he eats divine love and drinks the wine that all the holy monastic fathers drank who walked this path and forgot the sorrows. Moreover, grace does not leave anyone as it did in the beginning unless some change occurs, God forbid. So, if you, my child, are obedient, without a doubt, you too will experience all this. And I shall end this discussion here to tell you about another kind of delusion. I am only telling you now that all those temptations he suffered, all the storms and shipwrecks he went through, all the fears and enormous difficulties he had because he did not have a guide to support and direct him. And since there is a lack of these practiced guides, barely one in a thousand is found to pass through this dangerous path, which, as we have said previously, is the short path of God, which raises one to eternal life. And since there is a shortage of such guides, various delusions have followed. For it is absolutely necessary for the grace of God to leave, once a tried struggler has acquired a good taste of it in the beginning, so that he may be tested and become a practiced soldier of Christ. And without such temptations, no one has ever ascended to perfection. This stage that we mentioned, where many fall into delusion, is the stage where the grace of God withdraws in order to make us, as we have said, practiced soldiers of war, so that we are not infants forever. But the Lord wants us to become worthy men and brave fighters, able to guard his riches. That is why he allows us to be tempted. The Holy Fathers who teach us to abide in obedience, the highest of virtues, thus imitating Jesus, do so for a purpose, namely to purify us through it from the various passions of high-mindedness and complacency with one's own will, so that we may receive divine grace. But when grace withdraws to test you, the elder, like another grace, supports you and gives you guidance out of his own practical experience. He warms up your zeal to the point that by God's grace and the prayers of your elder, you too are freed from the struggles. Then God's grace lays hold of you once more, and our sweet Jesus entrusts to you his precious treasures as to one perfected. So there is no other purpose for one to place himself under obedience. Today, however, everyone thinks that he receives a dis disciple to teach him a craft, to make money, or to dig his vineyard, or to become a merchant and make him an heir to his house, or, or sell, or shop, or whatever else he has, or even to serve him. We are not saying not to do things that are necessary, but that the main purpose that a disciple attaches himself to an elder and is perfectly obedient is this. The elder, who is flaming with the love of Christ, transmits the talent of the riches of his virtue, 
The disciple, in turn, enjoys abundant grace from his spiritual father because he cuts off his own will and has perfect self-denial and obedience. Then, of course, he will complete all the household tasks as needed. And so, because this true purpose of monasticism has disappeared from thousands of monks, only a few are barely visible, like sparks. But these few are called deluded by all the thousands of other monks. And since they do not have anywhere to pass on their spiritual treasure, they hide it and pretend that they are fools and deluded. And this is why when strugglers reach this point where grace inevitably leaves, they cannot find the appropriate medicine for their therapy. So they fall, they are deluded, and thousands of souls are lost, which had shown great eagerness and godly zeal in the beginning. And today, those who out of ignorance do not understand call the path of God, which the sore feet of the saints walked, a path of delusion. Thus they sin out of ignorance and revile the path of God and hinder those who want to walk it. And when asked, they do not say at last, at least, My child, I am weak and unable to walk this path. But since you have zeal, see to it that you find such a guide. And if you find one, follow him faithfully. But if you don't, follow the common path of the fathers where you will have many fellow travelers and guides and where there is no fear of delusion. This is the plain and dispassionate truth of God, and whoever speaks like this is shielded from many snares. But if, when asked, one says that this road is delusion and that all who walk on it are deluded, such a person should realize that he is in the trap, and let him know know it so that he seeks God's mercy before death catches us and we are locked up behind the bars of Hades then no one will be able to deliver us from the eternal condemnation which we suffer because of our foolish tongue. And even though the Father of lights has given all judgment to the Son, we fools seize it and judge our neighbor without discernment, without realizing his work and God's divine providence for him, to whom be glory and dominion unto the ages. Amen. Chapter 8 On Another Delusion Hear, my child, about yet another delusion, so that you will be on your guard. Many monks attended to a single virtue and applied all their strength to accomplish it. For example, consider fasting, that is, not to eat oil or cooked food or other such things. They bound their freedom by believing that everything depends on fasting. While practicing this virtue, they advise others that this is the only way, the fullness of all virtues, and that it secures the soul's salvation. They rely on the fact that they have lived so many years without eating oil or cooked food or whatever else. But we say that such a person has become a slave of his willful fasting and thinks that whoever does not do likewise will not be saved or is off the right path. Let us ask such a person, O man of God, tell me, in your many years of fasting, what have you gained? Show me the fruit of your lengthy fast, and I shall be convinced. Through your fasting you have excluded the mercy of God from others who cannot fast as much. So where have you put the infinite mercy of the Lord's goodness? Or do perhaps all men have the same temperament and physical strength as you do, so that you can demand that all should become like you? Well then, since you can't rule yourself well, you strike the anvil of fasting for so many years without any results because you have no discernment. 
The cure for such a person is to abandon his so-called fasting and to seek from a spiritual father guidance on how to live. Likewise, another person counts on his vigil and teaches about it alone. He counts the years that he keeps vigil and thinks that anyone who does not live like him is walking in darkness. Such a person should give up his vigil and follow a spiritual guide. And yet another person trusts in his tears and he teaches others as though it were his own invention. Woe to him who does not weep. He thinks that if only he weeps, that is perfection. His remedy is to recognize that tears must be accompanied by humility and not to presume that he is doing the work of God or that God owes him grace. But then again, even if he weeps properly, let him know that he is practicing only one virtue and that he still lacks 99. Similarly, another one trusts in his prayer and teaches others that if one behaves like him, one will keep one's noose from wandering. He too asserts this as an invention of his own knowledge. And another one trusts in his Hezekiah, that all perfection lies therein. He thinks that if someone wants to, he is able to have Hezekiah. But what can I say? There are people who hope merely in the number of years that they wear the monastic schema and boast of them. Now, concerning all these virtues, we certainly say that these are the tools without which we cannot reach perfection. However, we must work at them, all of them, along with all the other virtues that we have not mentioned until we shed our blood. Hezekiah is the best aid that helps us accomplish all the virtues. But we say that no one is able to withstand the burden of Hezekiah in knowledge and discernment unless the Lord sends the grace of Hezekiah as a gift and mercy. So he who practices Hezekiah must recognize that it is a gift of God and must thank him. Likewise, we would say to him who prays, the apostle says, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Now, how can you say that you pray purely and keep your unrestrained noose from wandering and teach that if a man exerts himself, he can keep his noose from wandering and pray purely? So we remark that prayer is the best aid that assists in purifying the intellect and that without it, we are unable to live spiritually. However, no one is able to keep his noose from wandering and pray purely if the grace of divine and spiritual knowledge or a good and divine supernatural thought or another action of divine grace does not come. So he should realize that it is not he, but divine grace that keeps his noose. And according to the amount of divine grace, he prays purely. Such a person should know that this is not from himself, but from God. And so he should thank him and let him teach others that we ought to use whatever methods and ways we can to show God our good intentions and our desire to pray purely, but for grace to come is up to God. Likewise, we would say to him who has tears that tears are the best weapon against the demons and a bath that washes away sins, if one weeps cognitively. However, they are not from him. Although he exerts himself, showing his intention and will to weep, whether or not tears come depends on him who bringeth clouds up from the uttermost parts of the earth. Let practice teach him that he does not weep whenever he wants, but whenever God wants, and let him thank God who gives. 
he should not judge those who have no tears, for God does not give to all equally. Similarly, we say about vigil that it assists in the purification of the noose, if it is done with knowledge and discernment. However, if the Lord does not help, there is no fruit from it. Therefore, he who is able to keep vigil should ask for knowledge from God and conduct himself with discernment. For without divine aid, he will remain without fruit. The same holds for him who fasts and all the others, if they are governed themselves, if they govern themselves well. These are virtues that we strenuously cultivate. In this way, we show God our good intentions and also wrestle with the desires of the passions. For if we do not force ourselves in these virtues, we will commit sins without fail. This is the plain truth, our duty, our human effort. As with the farmer, he digs the earth, clears, sows, and awaits the mercy of God. But if God does not send rain and favorable winds at the appropriate time, the farmer loses all his labor as well. Since his field fills with thorns, he reaps nothing, and what he sowed becomes food for irrational animals. It is the same with us. If the Lord does not send the purifying waters of his divine grace, we remain without fruit, and our works become food for the demons. For our passions choke them, and we reap nothing. Moreover, the virtues that were not practiced properly turn into vices. So then, above all, we need spiritual discernment, and we must arduously seek it from God, to whom be glory and dominion under the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 9 On a different aspect of the same delusion. My child, hear about another delusion. There are also other monks who work on all the virtues together and trust in their works. And when they pray and ask something from God, they do not seek it with humility, but with insolence and pretension, as if they have obligated God with their toils, and therefore he owes it to them. When they are not heard, and the Lord does not do their will, they are troubled and greatly grieved. Then when our enemy the devil sees them with this ignorance, he attacks them with twisted thoughts, and teaches them, saying, See, you are struggling so hard even unto death to work for him, and he doesn't even listen to you. So why do you work for him? Then he pushes him to blaspheme the name of God, so that he may enter inside him and possess him. And then people bind him with chains. But if the devil is unable to accomplish this, he comes around differently. He transforms himself into an angel of light, saying that he is the archangel Gabriel, or some other angel, and that God sent him to be near him since God is pleased with his works. Or similarly, he transforms himself into the form of our Lord Jesus Christ, while another demon goes earlier and says, Since you have gladdened God with your toils, he has come to visit, so go and venerate him to receive grace. Or he says that he has come to raise him like the prophet Elias to the heavens. And in closing, to make a long story short, with such methods he has deluded many, both in the past and today. Some were thrown upon the rocks, others into wells, others were slaughtered in various ways, and utterly destroyed. And all this happened because from the beginning they had no discernment and were doing their own will, without being under obedience. 
But you, my beloved child in the Lord, since you are obedient and confess everything openly, do not be afraid. Since you have an elder who guides you and prays for you day and night, God will not allow you to be deluded. But even if some such fantasy in the form of an angel appears to you, do not be afraid. But tell him with boldness, even if it is in the form of the Lord, a saint or an angel, tell him, I have a Yeranda who guides me. I don't want the teachings of angels. I want to see my Lord, the angels and the saints in the other life. I don't want to see them here. And turn your face elsewhere. Do not look at him. And since he is unable to endure such boldness, he will disappear. But even if the vision is true, the Lord will not get angry with you. But at once your fear is transformed into joy, and things will turn out as the Lord wills. But we should never request or want such things from God, that is, to see angels or saints, because this is delusion. We should seek, as we have written many times, God's mercy for the remission of our sins, and should attend to the purification of our soul. Then things from God come by themselves without our seeking them. And even if we ascend to the heavens by Theoria, nothing is due to us. But if after a little while we undergo a change without wanting to, and great sorrow and unbearable distress come upon us as if we were in Hades, and it seems to us that it will never leave, but will afflict us till death, once again we should remain composed. And just as we were happy when we were raised to the heavens, likewise when some change occurs and grief overtakes us, we should have patience without being agitated and without grumbling. But in peace, tell your thoughts. The Father has two places for us to dwell, one of joy and pleasure in the heavens and one of sorrows down in Hades. And whenever he wants, he raises me to the joy above, and whenever he wants, he takes me below, so that I learn that as long as I wear this earthen body, I am subject to change. So I have nothing to say, only let the will of the Lord be done in all, to all, and through all. But even if he leaves me below forever, I would say, My sweetest Savior and God, I have done nothing good or pleasing before thee. But as a diligent worker of sin, I am worthy to be a son of hell. So even if I am punished, I rightly deserve it. Only do not be grieved with me, but rather look upon me with a happy face. And then even Hades will become a brilliant paradise for me. When you say such things... The sorrow departs and joy returns. But you should not say it so that joy comes back, but you should say it from your heart. And as long as you are in this life, as we have already said, you should never become cocky, even if you ascend to the seventh heaven and see all kinds of mysteries. Since you bear a body, there is a danger and caution is needed. Only once you have departed from your dead body should you rejoice, because then you are not subject to change any more. But whatever the Lord bestows upon you is yours, and no one can take it from you. To whom be glory and dominion unto the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 10 On the double warfare of the demons, and how they fight skillfully against strugglers. So now, my child, learn now also about the double warfare of the demons. We say that the demons fight skillfully against strugglers. When an evil demon 
sees that a monk is running with great momentum and fervor, but has no guide, he follows him closely, and secretly plots against him. He conceals his traps and pushes him onward, and the struggler, not suspecting that the enemy is with him, goes to extremes without discernment, fasting, keeping vigil, praying. The demon completely cuts his appetite for food so that he does not desire anything, even if he has the best foods. Likewise, he lets him keep vigil freely so that the monk thinks that he has already reached his passion and that he's able to live without food. Then once the demon sees that he has reached the extreme, he abandons him and he falls. Since he does not have lofty wings of Theoria to lift and raise his body, he grovels on the ground like a snake. For just when he thought that he had been raised from the earth to the heavens, he suddenly found himself in the sea without weapons, without realizing it. For the body which carries the weapons and fights was exhausted and collapsed due to the excessive starvation. Then the bloodthirsty dragon, rejoicing and exulting, hastily falls upon that poor monk, dragging along with him thousands of other evil spirits as well. They will completely strangle him if he does not immediately seek an experienced and practiced guide. From here the demons have thrown many strugglers into various filthy passions. For the demons excite carnal passions more than the rest when the body is exhausted and has collapsed. But if this struggler has a sharp mind, struggles with discernment, and is cautious not to fall forward, the demon leaves him alone. But as soon as he sees that the monk's fervor and great zeal flag, then his momentum has decreased somewhat, and that he begins to be negligent, the demon pulls him back and throws him into indifference, so that he abandons everything, and in this way becomes the demon's slave. This is why the warfare is double. A monk must either have a guide with the same spiritual work and be obedient to him, cutting off his own will completely, or if he is alone, he must guard himself from extremes and walk the middle way. He must incline neither to the right nor to the left, and he should fully know that only when he receives lofty wings of theoria can his body bear illnesses in proportion to this divine grace. For the body, being corruptible, changes many times, becomes ill, and falls. But since the noose has other heavenly supernatural wings, it flies high and does not care about the heaviness of the body, but supports it however weak it may be. This is why many saints who had this grace passed many years without bread or food. Holy communion of the Immaculate Body and Blood of the Lord alone was sufficient for them. But since the Holy Fathers do not teach us not to eat at all, even if we have received this grace and know that we are able to live without food in truth and not in our imagination, we should still eat cheese and eggs and milk and fish, too, if we happen to have any. We should eat a little of everything allowed by our monastic profession for two reasons. First, we crush the root of arrogance and pride and trample down every proud thought that goes against God. And second, we appear to be just like everyone else, without anyone knowing our God-pleasing work. Thus we avoid human glory and praises. Furthermore, we should not think that this meager amount of food eaten with knowledge and discernment deprives us of divine grace, or that if we fasted, we would have more grace. 
No, for God does not look at the quantity of our struggles, but examines the intention and the discernment with which we work, and he pours out his good, great, and abundant mercy accordingly, to whom be all glory, honor, and worship, always, now, and ever, unto the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 11 On the three states of nature that man ascends and descends, according to nature, contrary to nature, and above nature, and on the three modes of divine grace by which it acts when human nature is constrained, namely, purifying, illuminating, and perfecting grace. So, my child, let me tell you also about the three states of nature that man ascends and descends. The natural state of man, since we have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and have fallen out of paradise, is the divine law which was given to us in writing after that exile. Every man desiring salvation has to fight with the passions, thrashing and opposing, fighting and being fought against, winning and suffering defeat, and in general he has to struggle in order to stay within the divine laws of nature. When we abide by the divine law given to us in the Bible, we are not fornicators, murderers, thieves, liars, gossipers, and are not unjust, proud, vainglorious, gluttonous, greedy, adversarious, envious, taunting, blaspheming, irascible, peevish, complaining, hypocritical, and so on, then we are in a state natural for us after the fall. Whereas the state contrary to nature is when one is outside of the divine law and behaves like the irrational animals that do not have a law. The prophet says regarding such people, Man, being in honor, did not understand. He is compared to the mindless cattle and is like them. So whoever lives like this outside of the divine law, wallowing in various sins, as we mentioned, is in the state contrary to nature. But the state above nature is dispassion, which is what Adam had before he transgressed the commandment of God and fell out of this divine grace and innocence. So these, my child, are the three states through which, if we make progress, we ascend from the contra-natural to the supernatural state. But if we live insensibly and neglect our salvation, then we feed swine and try to get our fill from husks like the prodigal son. As we mentioned, the three modes of divine grace that the, the nature of man is likely to receive when he has good intentions and exerts himself are purifying, illuminating, and perfecting. Once a man comes to repentance from his previous sinful life, he forces himself to stay within the divine law, and due to his passionate habits, he undergoes great struggles and suffers sharp pains. Then divine grace secretly gives him comfort and joy, mourning, delight, and the sweetness from the divine words he reads, as well as strength and boldness in his spiritual struggle. This is called purifying grace, which mystically helps the struggling penitent to be purified from sins and to remain in the state according to nature. So if he remains there in the state according to nature and does not stop struggling, does not turn back, is not negligent, and does not fall from his post, but endures and forces himself to bear good fruits, being patient and accepting the continuous changes of nature, and awaiting the mercy of God, 
Then his noose receives divine illumination and becomes entirely divine light, by which he noetically perceives the truth and discerns how he must proceed until he reaches love, which is our sweet Jesus. However, here too, one must be very cautious. When you hear me saying light, do not think that it is fire or light from a lamp or lightning or some other kind of colors. Away with such absurdity. For there were many who did not understand and accepted some kind of lightning as something divine, and thus were deluded and miserably ruined. But the noetic light of divine grace is immaterial, formless, colorless, gladsome, and peaceful. This is and is called illuminating grace, which illuminates the noose and knows the safe roads of the spiritual journey, so that the traveler will not get lost and fall. However, since the body is commingled with changes, and since there is plenty of time, grace does not abide permanently, but comes and goes. Light is followed by darkness, and then darkness is followed by light. Now listen carefully to understand. Our natural state is darkness in comparison to divine grace. How much more so when the gloomy demons approach us, which are dark by nature, so when the light of grace comes, everything evil disappears, just as when the sun rises, the darkness leaves, and we can clearly see even the smallest details that escaped notice before dawn. But once the sun sets, the darkness overtakes us naturally once more, and whoever walks in the darkness suffers great damage and grievous incidences. Likewise, the same thing happens to us in our spiritual journey. When we have divine light, we can see everything clearly, and the demons flee far away, as they are unable to stand before divine grace. But once divine grace leaves again, the darkness remains, that is, our natural state. Then the thievish demons come and fight us. And so, since our nature is subject to so many changes, and since in a time of darkness, we, without the discernment of divine grace, work many deeds that harm us, and since many times we are mortally wounded by the enemies, because it is dark and we cannot see the enemies that are hiding. Therefore, we must never grow bold and think that everything we do is pleasing to God, nor should we trust in our weapons and our skill, but we should call upon divine aid and trust only in it and should say with great fear, for we do not know, I wonder, is what I say pleasing to God? Or do I perhaps sadden him? And in times of change, we must be patient. If then we remain in this state and are not harmed by the continuous wars and turmoil from the passions, then we are given the gift of God, perfecting grace, which perfects us. It is called supernatural because he who has it walks above nature. In the first two stages of grace, a person forces himself with good thoughts and spiritual recollections to keep the virtues, love, humility, abstinence, and so on. Thus, by thinking pious thoughts and by opposing demonic thoughts, he destroys the passion's malice and keeps the virtues. But when the perfecting supernatural grace comes, all the passions are wiped out. Then all the virtues are kept as though they belonged to his own nature, without needing to use his own devices and methods, because he has been given that dispassionate state that existed before the fall. For the passions entered the nature of man after Adam's disobedience, 
whereas the natural state in which man was created by God was passionless. For this reason, when the noose is freed from the passions, it walks above nature like a king by means of divine knowledge. So when you too, my child, see that without artifices and spiritual thoughts, all the virtues remain naturally and do not change, know that you are living above nature. But if you keep them with good thoughts and they change, know that you are living according to nature. And when you commit sins, know that you are living contrary to nature and feed the swine of the citizens, as in the Holy Gospel. So struggle to free yourself. As for those things beyond what we have already mentioned, the all-wise and all-good God knows, as well as he who abides in God, to whom be glory and dominion unto the ages of ages. Amen. Chapter 12 on Love Since we have written about many and diverse things, my child, moved by your ardent faith and piety, I considered it good also to write a few things about love that I have learned from the Holy Fathers who lived before me and from the reading of Holy Scriptures. However, fearing the height of this supernatural grace, I am overcome by awe, lest I am unable to bring the discourse to an end. All the same, warmed by the hope of your holy prayers, I shall begin the discourse. For how can I, my child, with my own strength, write about such a great charisma which exceeds my strength? And with what tongue can I tell of this heavenly delight and sustenance of the holy angels, prophets, apostles, righteous, martyrs, monks, and every category of those listed in the heavens? Truly, my child, even if I had all the tongues of men since Adam to help me, it seems still impossible to me that I would be able to extol love worthily. What am I saying, worthily? A mortal tongue is entirely incapable of even remotely expressing something concerning love, unless God, who is truth and love itself, gives us the power of speech, wisdom, and knowledge. And through the human tongue, this God himself, our sweet Jesus Christ, is both called and praised as God. For love is nothing but the Father and the Savior himself, our sweet Jesus together with the divine spirit. Of course, all the other divine gifts of the loving God, such as humility, meekness, abstinence, and so on, have divine sensation when they act upon us through divine grace. For without the action of divine grace, all these in general are simply virtues that we keep to heal our passions because of the commandment of the Lord. Before we receive grace, we undergo changes all the time, towards humility and towards pride, towards love and towards hatred, towards abstinence and towards gluttony, towards meekness and towards anger, towards forbearance and towards indignation, etc. However, once we are acted upon by divine grace, these continuous changes and alterations of the soul cease. Although the body continues to have its elemental and natural changes, namely cold, heat, weight, fatigue, hunger, thirst, illness, and so on, the soul, fed by the action of divine grace, remains unchangeable in the natural divine gifts it has been given. What I mean by unchangeable is this. Due to the grace abiding in us, the soul does not change in the divine gifts it has been given by God. Not that it does not change when grace withdraws, but it changes with difficulty due to the soul's firm resolution. 
It is not completely unchangeable, though. For we have written also elsewhere in this epistle that as long as we carry about this earthen garment, no one should believe that there is an advanced spiritual state free from danger, except in the presence of divine grace. Then one senses very, very well every divine gift and unerringly comprehends them. However, when he reaches the sensation of divine love, which is God himself, according to him who said, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. How can a tongue which is mortal and has no divine action suffice to converse about God and his holy gifts? Today, many virtuous people who live good lives, who please God with their deeds and words, and who benefit their neighbor, think that they have, and are thought of having, attained love through their insignificant work of mercy and compassion they show toward their neighbor. But this is not the truth. They are only fulfilling the commandment of love for the Lord, who said, Love one another. He who keeps this commandment is worthy of praise as a keeper of the divine commandments, but this is not an action of divine love. It is a road towards the fountain, but not the fountain. It is stairs towards the palace, but not the gate of the palace. It is a royal garment, but not the king. It is a commandment of God, but not God. Therefore, he who wishes to speak about love must have revelation of the mystery of love. Only then, if the fountain of love, our sweet Jesus permits, should he impart to others some, some of the fruit he received, then he shall surely benefit his neighbor. For there is a great danger for us to speak erroneously, to think turbidly, and to believe we know things that we do not. So then, my beloved child, know this for certain. Fulfilling the commandment of love through works done for mutual brotherly love is one thing, and the action of divine grace is another. All men are able to fulfill the commandment of brotherly love if they want to and if they force themselves. Divine love, though, neither results from our works nor does it depend on our will, if we want, when we want, and how we want. But it depends on the fountain of love, our sweetest Jesus, who gives us if he wants, how he wants, and whenever he wants. When we walk in simplicity, keep the commandments, and patiently and persistently seek divine love with tears and pain, guarding Jethro's sheep like Moses, that is, guarding the good and spiritual movements and meditations of the noose during the heat of the day and the frost of the night, of continuous battles and temptations, which we crush with our struggle and humility, then we are counted worthy of seeing God and the bush in our hearts, burning with the divine fire of love, burning but not consumed. And having approached it through noetic prayer, we hear the divine voice in a mystery of spiritual knowledge saying, put off thy sandals from thy feet. That is, put off from yourself every self-will and worry from this age as well as all childish thoughts and be subject to the Holy Spirit and his divine will. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And once such a person puts off everything, he is entrusted with the responsibility to protect the people and inflicts wounds on Pharaoh. That is, he discerns and governs through divine gifts and conquers the demons. Then he receives the divine laws 
not on stone tablets as Moses did, which wear out and break, but rather in divine engravings of the Holy Spirit which act in our hearts. And not only ten commandments, but as many as his noose, knowledge, and nature can contain. Afterwards he enters into that which is within the veil. When the divine cloud descends in a pillar of fire of love, he becomes all fire as well. He is unable to endure any longer, and the action, divine action of love, within him cries out to the fountain of love through human lips. What shall separate me from thy sweet love, O Jesus? And when the breeze blows even more, whether in the body or out of the body, God knows. Whether within the hut or out in the open air, God knows. He who has experienced this knows only this, that he has totally become fire with the fire. And shedding tears of love, he cries out in amazement and astonishment, Stop, O sweet love, the waters of thy grace, for the joints of my body have come apart. As he says this, and while the wind of the Spirit is blowing upon him with his marvelous and ineffable fragrance, his senses cease, not permitting any bodily action at all, and entirely captivated and enclosed in silence, he can only marvel at the riches of the glory of God until the divine cloud passes. He remains as one crazy, as from wine all ecstatic. For neither his tongue nor his mind nor his heart permits him to speak any words except these. I beg thee, my Jesus, my love that is sweetest, my Father and Savior, O sweetest pure Eros, my God and Creator and the All-Holy Spirit, O Trinity holy in a heavenly oneness, O life of my soul and my heart's delectation, my intellect's brightness, O love that is perfect, O fountain of love, and my hope and my faith, teach me how I must seek thee in order to find thee. Yes, my love that is sweetest, my Jesus and Savior, just tell me the way, for I want nothing else. I desire to find thee, and to fall at thy feet, and to kiss with much sweetness thy wounds and the nails, to weep without ceasing out of pain that is heartfelt, and wash thy divine feet as Mary once did. And let not any powers or dominions detach me, nor Belial the rival with his unholy angels, nor temporal pleasures of this age which is passing, nor all the world with its fleeting enjoyments. But just as I am now, come take my poor soul there, however thou knowest, and thy feet shall I wash them. I yearn to behold thee and worship forever my God and Creator, my love and my Savior together with all of the righteous and prophets, apostles and martyrs, with the monks and saved women, and all hosts of the heavens, archangels and angels, with the cherubim, the seraphim, thrones and the powers, and our sweetest true mother, Panagia the Virgin, the Lady of all, our most pure Theotokos. Amen. So, my child, Blessed is the hour in which, if we are worthy, we present our soul clean to the Lord and rejoice together with all of those we mentioned, where for all, in all, and over all reigns Jesus Christ, the sweet Savior, God the Father, the beloved, holy, good, peaceful, life-giving, life-creating Spirit, the holy, indivisible Trinity, now and ever, and unto the infinite ages of endless ages, Amen.
Epilogue. My child, unceasingly turn over in your mind and heart everything that I have written to you. Know well that the beginning of the clear way of God and the coming of all good things is for a person to realize his own weakness. For him to realize it, though, we must undergo great temptations above his strength. Without undergoing such extraordinary temptations above nature, it is impossible for him to realize the weakness of his nature. Once he realizes it, he knows everything, and everything will fall into his hands. Then true humility is near. Within it is also patience. He has also laid hold of the knowledge of mysteries and is sheltered by discernment. From love he has received the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, long-suffering, faith, meekness, abstinence. Question. But where do all of these good things come from? Answer. All these come about when one sees in plain sight, not visions and fantasies, but the whole bare plain truth, that man is nothing. Question. But what is nothing? Answer. Nothing is what existed before God made the earth and all of creation. Nothing. And after he made the heaven and earth, he named it earth, which came into being from nothing. Furthermore, when God took clay from it and formed man, he was just lifeless clay. But after he breathed on him with his breath, he received a living spirit, a reasoning soul, and named him man in his image and likeness. In his image refers to the spirit, which he gave him through his breath, the reasoning soul. In his likeness refers to the good virtues, love, kindness, charity, and the rest that we have written above. So whoever has these natural good virtues is in his likeness. Whoever does not have them is not in his likeness. But as the prophet has said about them, being in honor, he did not understand. He is compared to the mindless cattle and is like them. Question. So what is the fulfillment of all good things and the end of all so that we may conclude our discussion? Answer. The fulfillment of all good things and the termination of all is God, good, compassionate, merciful, through whom everything came into being out of non-existence and without whom nothing whatsoever came into being. So to him belong all glory, love, honor, worship, and veneration, together with his beloved Son, our sweetest Savior, Jesus Christ, and with his all-holy and good and life-creating Spirit, now and forever, unto the infinite ages of endless ages. Amen. The end, and glory to our God and Trinity.